0: Spurs in full cry here. Let me-
1: Welcome listeners to The Extra Inch, my name's Windy and I'm joined today on a special bonus episode by a young man called Sam Ricketts. Hello Sam. Hello, how's it going? Good. Sam, you got in touch with me after listening to us talk about referees in episode 43 because it struck a particular chord with you. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about your experiences as a young referee. But firstly, tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you from? What do you do? How long have you been a football fan? That kind of thing. Um,
2: I'm 16 years old. I'm from Devon, which is a far away away from Spurs. But my mum and her family are originally from North London. So ah, okay. I'm a Spurs fan through them. And um, me and my dad try and get Get up semi regularly to watch them, which is great. Um, so, I've been a football fan. When I was younger, I didn't actually used to like football that much, which is surprising. But I, I say I started getting into football, it was that the last no, not the, the penultimate AVB season where right, okay. Bale was, it was... I'd say Bale was the player that... You know, you often talk about what player made you fall in love with football. Bale was definitely the player for me.
1: I think you're not alone there. I think a lot of fans uh, started following Spurs at those times because it was so exciting to watch. So have you have you been playing football for a while as well? Yes, yeah. Um, I play every weekend
2: for my local, well, semi-local team. Um, yeah, I, that, I'd say obviously I'm a football player
1: and fan first and referee second yeah so playing football I think is a a fairly normal thing for a 16 year old to do but refereeing I would say is definitely less standard that's not what most people would, would be doing at your age um what made you think about becoming a referee
2: um well, so about last year at school, we had um a work experience like week where we had a week off timetable um going and doing work experience and I had nothing I had nothing ready. and one day my p teacher, who also does all the football stuff at school, he said like anyone who hasn't sorted anything out and if they fancy doing something, come and see me. So me and um a couple of my friends who also hadn't sorted anything out when saw him and he said he's thinking of putting on a referee course for work experience. And so I was obviously, I was like, yeah, I love that because, you know, it's, it's a job you get paid. It's quite good pay um and it's football i love football everything seemed good
1: nice so it all came about through a teacher just kind of throwing the idea out there um i I can imagine like when you're at school and you're doing work experience normally it's like you go and work in an office or you go in my case it was actually working for a catering company so it's, it's things like that the idea of of doing something in the world of football must have been quite exciting so i can definitely see why that would have appealed do you remember what the training was like to do it
2: yeah so it was about so the work the work experience it was a week long and but the actual course itself was only 2 or 3 days um so we kind of we went over just everything to do with refereeing, basically, they got in the, like, I'm not sure what his position was, but someone from the Devon FA came in, you know, showed us the ropes, Um, we did lots of practical kind of stuff, because my school's got an astroturf, and we did lots of practice on there, um, like linesman practice, referee practice, some theory stuff in the classroom, he basically just took us through all the rules, everything, so that was, uh, it was fun actually, I enjoyed it.
1: It must have been quite intense, because I think the, the laws of the game, I mean, if you ever dealt into the laws of the game, there's there's so much more to it than the kind of average football fan would realise. Um, were, were you like given a test on on your knowledge afterwards? Um,
2: the the test actually because the way they do it is is peculiar so we did the course and everything and then I actually I did the course in it's about May June kind of time but then the test came in December that year so you you referee five games and those five games you'll at least one of them you'll have someone come to assess you and then they will basically say you're fit to be a referee or you're not and then at the end if if they deem you fit enough well not physically fit but able to be a referee then you go and do the test in december and i mean it's you can't actually fail the test you either pass or just retake until you get it but i passed i actually got i got quite a good score which i was really pleased with so yeah that's
1: so t- that's that sounds insane to me that you're you you're basically given five matches to referee and they might turn up to one of them to assess you. Um, do, do they not worry about the standards in the other four matches? So they could be sending out people to referee who who don't really know what they're doing at that point. Is that possible? I
2: yeah, I presume so. But I mean, <laughs> you've done the course, so you've got that all that base level of understanding, right? Um, but I actually I never got anyone come to see me in those five games even. So. Like they have, no, I've never had anyone watching me referee. So from wow. what they know, I could be could They're be doing the
1: checks and balances. So I mean, obviously, learning on AstroTurf with a few exercises is one thing, but I imagine going out and refereeing your first match is something completely different. Do you want to sort of take us through that experience? How how old were the um the teams you were refereeing for a start?
2: Um. Well, my first ever game. I had. I actually had two games in a row. Um. Luckily, my first game was only under elevens, which is a bit easier. And um, yeah, but it's a it's a completely different thing because also you're completely by yourself when you're refereeing. You've got no one else on your side. If that makes sense. Yeah. You've got you know the the two managers or more the players the parents. So, it's a, it's a completely different thing. You're kind of out there by yourself. And but, do you
1: remember how that first match went?
2: Yeah, I, I was just, I was very nervous. Like, I was kind of, wasn't very confident in any of my decisions. But I just, I kind of stuck everything, you know, to the rules, cause I, I, I studied the rules just to, you know, make sure. Um, but yeah, I was kind of, I was very hesitant to make decisions. I didn't want to make decisions. It was, but yeah, luckily the, the, the coaches were really nice. So that helps a lot. It just helps you feel confident and relaxed. So that makes a big difference.
1: Yeah. And then what about going forward? So are you are you still refereeing similar age groups? So under 11s for your first one, but are, are you doing older groups now?
2: Um, it, it all depends on what game you get given, really. So I, I, the highest I've refed is under 14s and the lowest is under 10s. But it tends to be, i say under 11s is the one I've done the most, which is handy because that is one of the easiest, I'd say.
1: Because you've got that kind of automatic authority over them because you're that bit older and bigger. I guess
2: yeah yeah I'd say when it gets kind of like under 12s under 13s they get a bit more they start to speak their mind a bit more they get you know also they, they try to get away with things a bit
1: more right okay the dark side of the game <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> So what's it like then? So the reason you got in touch, we were talking about what the, the things we could do to improve refereeing and I spoke about um, a respect campaign essentially and that, that players shouldn't be allowed to abuse referees willy-nilly and get away with it and that it should always be a yellow card for any abuse towards the referee, that kind of thing. Um, is it is it like that when you're in the middle of the pitch by yourself, as you say? Do you feel the pressure from, from the crowd and from the, the two teams?
2: Yes, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, because... A lot of, like, for me, the, a lot of my enjoyment from refereeing as well comes from, comes from those good comments, those, you know, good decision ref or at the end, good game. So the pressure of trying to. I guess please both teams. It's quite a lot. And like, when, they, when those negative comments come, like, it's, people always say like, oh, don't take it personally and stuff, but it's very hard not to take that personally. Cause, you so know, what, you're the what,
1: ref. What kind of thing, what kind of things are you talking about? I did
2: just, um, just kind of shouts from like the managers, you know, saying, you know, you're not, you're a bad ref, just like along those lines, that kind yeah. of stuff. Just general negative. I wouldn't necessarily say abusive, but potentially, like not not nice comments, and, it, and it, it it kind of makes you it makes you second guess every decision, and that's when bad decisions creep in because you're never confident in your decision making. Like you're constantly you're self doubting. You like you're not
1: thinking well, and that's their intention. They're trying to manipulate the course of the game through getting into your head and, and making you think. Right, I've got to give them something next time. That's what they want, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think. I mean, like I said, I play, and one game is quite a big cup game against. Like, maybe the best team in our county, and the, our, our manager said to us, just appeal to the ref for everything. Like, get him on your side. And like, well, I don't think there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but it's not right. And I don't think a referee should ever be anyone that you can use to gain a competitive advantage in the game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They, they should be completely impartial. And frankly, you know, we see referees treated so poorly in the Premier League and that will naturally rub off uh, at grassroots level. Have you ever got into any situations where you've been in arguments with managers or anything like that?
2: Um... I wouldn't say an argument, but I've had when when you make a decision they don't like. You know, sometimes managers will they'll kind of keep bringing that up and they'll they they get on their backs a bit. And, yeah, and also, one thing i found is that, it's like, the linesmen, who are normally just, like, some of the dads, it's, they've been, like, weirdly, like, ma- almost manipulative sometimes. Like, they'll come up to me at half-time, and they'll, you know, say, oh, watch out for that, like, number six, or whatever, he's been putting bad tackles in, or I've been hearing stuff. Like, I- I'm seeing the game, I'm watching it, like, and just... I don't know. It's a very, it's a weird, it's a weird one.
1: And what about from a, um, from a sort of practical level, from a referee's perspective? Do you feel like you always have a a good grip of, of what's happening all over the pitch, or is it quite hard to sort of keep on top of everything? It all depends on
2: the game, I'd say. Because when the games are, you know, they're kind of relatively nice, like fair games, it's not too hard. You just have to keep that concentration up. But when it's a more kind of testy, fiery game, it, it's very difficult because you have to be constantly watching out for, you know, tackles, little afters, and you can you, you have to keep in control of the game. As soon as you you know don't give decisions or stuff like those tackles will get out of hand you know you you lose control of that game
1: and do you have a particular style for dealing with that kind of thing so we know that some referees for example quite like to stamp their authority in the game straight away call up an early foul and and maybe even give an early booking that kind of thing to show that that won't that kind of um over-the-top challenge won't be tolerated are you are you that kind of referee or are you someone who will have a conversation with the managers beforehand and and warn them about the kind of things you you'll be expecting
2: uh yeah yeah I'll, i'll often have a conversation with the manager before a game or the players and just say like, I like to. I don't like to be keep blowing up for fouls I like to try and keep the game flowing mm. but obviously you need to often to keep the game under control you need to blow up for every little foul and the, one of the pieces of advice on the course they gave us was that, like you said, at the beginning You kind of blow up for every foul because Just to show that, you know, that kind of stuff Won't be tolerated And then as the game goes on You can start letting things go a bit more
1: That's really interesting that they actually train that Yeah, Because yeah. It's, it's something that can frustrate fans, can't it? If you're watching and you're seeing Kind of inconsistent decision making Where something's been called out at the start of a match But then towards the end it'll be let go That that can be annoying from a fan perspective But I, it makes sense from a referee's perspective
2: Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's, it's just all about having that kind of like I said control over the game and that that's one thing like, like you are saying about like the fan and the referee perspective it's very weird having been a fan and a player my whole life well not my whole life but and then suddenly being a referee you see the game from a completely different point of view I'd say.
1: So do you have quite a lot more sympathy now for Premier League referees when you're watching them do their job?
2: Yeah for sure but also I often it also makes me more critical of some of their decisions interesting which I, I, w- I would never have guessed that I I would have always thought that it would like you said just make me more sympathetic but it, it does go both ways for sure.
1: But you've you've also got a pre- an appreciation of, of how difficult their, their role is and I mean the pressure at that level must be unbelievable and when you got in contact with me you said that um, the stress that it puts you under even at grassroots level means that you've basically got no motivation to even try and I think the key thing is here that there are so many grassroots football matches going on at all levels and the game is so reliant on people like you giving up their time to referee um what do you think could be done to attract more referees into the game um
2: it's it's a good question i think I, I definitely do think, like, like you were saying on the last pod, um, some kind of respect, respect campaign, because there isn't enough respect for referees, and I think having, having more, more people there, which I know it is hard to do, but mm. when it's just you there by yourself, like, it can be very intimidating, and, um... It's difficult. So having, I don't know, maybe just like one other person, you know, a fellow referee there. I think that yeah. can make a, make a big difference.
1: Just someone there as, as backup for for those difficult decisions. Yeah, yeah. Situation. So you mentioned that you get paid to do this, Sam. Uh, do you mind me asking how much you get paid per match? Yeah, sure.
2: Um, for anything below eleven aside, so below under thirteens is twenty pounds a game, and then anything eleven aside is twenty five pounds a game. So it's it's very good pay. That is one of the i'd say one of the main incentives for me doing it
1: absolutely and you know as a 16 year old there aren't many jobs i would imagine that are, are that well paid for the length of time you're you're performing that activity so presumably you have to get there a little bit before kickoff and stay a little bit after kickoff but what we're talking like two and a half three hours something like that yeah yeah door
2: to door normally about normally about that yeah
1: so it's a very good rate for that isn't it and and that must be an incentive for for other people of, of a similar age to you to get involved but i guess well actually it'd be interesting to know from you what what What's the kind of um typical what's the average age of referees in these sorts of matches you say
2: um there there definitely are there are quite a few people in my age now who have become referees I mean I'd say about about four of my mates are referees. Um, But there's kind of I'll say There's either my age Or older people There's not a lot of middle ground Which I guess you'd expect Because often You know That kind of age of People will have You know They'll have full time jobs Yeah Whereas like People like me obviously don't And maybe older people Who are retired Have then started refereeing
1: Um, Yeah it makes sense Doesn't it That they'd have a bit more Free time in their hands Yeah yeah And what about Other skills that you've learnt Doing this Would you say it's kind of Developed you in any other ways Aside from the obvious I.e. just knowing the laws of the game
2: yeah, I'd say it's it's developed my my speaking skills. I'd say because I'm constantly meeting new people. Um, like before every game, I will go shake the manager's hand, introduce myself, have a chat. Like I'd say that's that's really good. Um, also, just my kind of it's that taking responsibility. Like you know, you've got responsibility for that game. Like I I'd, I'd say it's definitely just almost improves me like as an all-round person yeah for sure
1: it's hugely valuable to you as a 16 year old you know thinking about what the future might hold for you but those skills are things that it's very difficult to pick up in in school really so that's an amazing thing that you've done um we should also talk about about school for you at a moment Sam because it's we're recording this obviously in the lockdown period um and you're 16 so were you due to take GCSEs
2: yeah yeah was, my first exam was going to be well 11th of May so it's, under two weeks time
1: and how do you feel about the fact that they've been cancelled um it's it's still it's still
2: difficult to get my head around if I'm honest when the news first broke I just like it it took a long time to process definitely because for for all my time at school you know you're kind of building up to that moment and you you kind of know that's always going to be there that it's always in the back of your mind that that's your ultimate goal and suddenly that is taken away from you and all that work you've done it's not for nothing but you're never going to actually put it into that final result Mm. so it's it's weird for sure
1: do you feel for you personally that you're gonna benefit from this or are you worried that you won't you won't do as well as you would have done if you'd had the exam um
2: I think for some subjects I I could benefit but because like because they're doing it on kind of what teachers say predicted grades mock results and I've had good mock results I got good predicted grades like I work hard in lessons so I, I should be fine but you just you never know, do you? Because on that on that final day, like it's it's a chance to really show you what you can do. You know, I, I would have put in like, admittedly, I haven't been revising all that much, but I definitely would have been mm. revising a lot. You know, that kind of Easter period and really built up for the exams. But I guess I'll, I'll never know. But you just have to trust that the teachers know you and give you a fair grade.
1: Very surreal, isn't it? And and what's it been like um as a sixteen-year-old in lockdown? Have you had have teachers? Made things available for you online to to study?
2: Yeah, yeah, recently they have. Um, They've done, they they sent out like emails of work. Which I don't know if many people are doing, (laughs) but is because it's a very weird kind of situation. Because like there's no, there's not really any work for us to do. There's no
1: motivation there either because you've got those exams at the end of it.
0: Yeah,
2: like a lot of the work they set out was kind of continuing our GCSE stuff. But like that's kind of unless you've got nothing else to do, like that's pointless because. Like, I'm never gonna do anything with that information.
1: Right. So, do you, do you know at this point what's next for you? Are you gonna be doing A-levels? Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I'm, oh, uh, if I get the grades. Which I, I should do. But that's definitely the next step
1: for me. Well, I hope you get the results uh, you deserve, Sam. And I hope it all works out for you. And thank you for taking the time to talk to us about refereeing. It's um, it's interesting because when I talk about refereeing on the podcast, I'm talking about refereeing mainly from a, a Premier League perspective and a, and a Football League perspective. But it, it does, it goes down so, so much deeper than that. And, you know, if you walk to your local park on a Saturday morning, you'll see football matches going on. Every single one of those matches needs a referee. And, you know, there are people like you who who keep the game running basically and uh yeah i think i definitely think the game could do more do more to to support young referees and and people moving forward if, if you did want to do this as a as a full-time career thing would it be possible for you to progress yeah
2: yeah it's um I know that there are kind of specialist training courses that you can get on to progress the high levels. And then it's just about working your way up that pyramid from there. So I think if it's, if it was something I wanted to do, then I'd say I could do it. I don't know how far I'd get, but I don't, I mean, I can't imagine it's, it's overly competitive or well, I, I I'm saying that out of ignorance but I don't know I, I can't imagine there are many referees you know really wanting to get to that top level
1: so you'd have a good chance basically
2: I mean I I don't know but I, I yeah I think if you if you stick at it long enough and and you are you know a good referee and you work hard I don't see why not
1: lovely thanks Sam this has been great and if people are interested in in hearing more about your experiences or perhaps they're considering becoming a referee themselves is there any anywhere they can get in touch with you um
2: yeah my my Twitter account um, it's I can't think of the at off the top of my head
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but could we put that like on the podcast release absolutely yeah we'll put yeah. that in the in the notes from the podcast Sam thank you for your time it's been a pleasure talking to you thanks for having me on I've enjoyed it right, right. right. nice one cheers Sam you can find Sam on Twitter at Sam underscore Ricketts underscore ahoy ahoy beloved listeners
2: of the Extra Inch Wireless show and golly gosh do we have a treat for you this Monday night on discords
1: this is Tottenham Hotspur versus Leicester City in the 1961 FA Cup final Monday at 8 p.m.
0: Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: So I'm joined by Carl Jones. Carl, hello. Hello. And you're here to tell us about a book that you've written about Spurs, about the 2018-19 season. Uh, You started writing it with one purpose in mind, but it turned out to be memorable for a different reason.
3: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I uh, wanted to write a book about our supporters clubs around the world. And I kind of thought when better to do that than at the start of the season when we were returning home. So last season appeared to be the season to write this book. And I contacted lots of supporters clubs around the world and here in the UK over the summer and then of course the first game was was put back to to remain at Wembley and I kind of thought well that's a slight uh, problem but you know we'll, we'll we'll get around that and then it just continued to be extended and extended and um obviously what the season then turned into was just the most amazing memorable season certainly in my time of being a Spurs fan in terms of going all the way to Madrid which uh, I was I was in Madrid and it was just even despite the result, the the most wonderful bittersweet weekend probably that I can remember. So I've really somehow accidentally managed to capture this time capsule of last season in kind of all its glory and all its frustration for lots of different reasons through the eyes and voices of these supporters clubs all around the world.
1: And what was the um,
3: the original motivation behind speaking to members of our supporters clubs? So I, um, about 10 years ago, went on holiday to New York and watched a Spurs game in a bar in New York with the, with the New York Spurs. And I think the, the concept of supporters clubs wasn't brand new by any means, but it was really starting to get off the ground, and certainly in places like uh, the United States, where we were really beginning to flourish. And it just was amazing to... Having been to the States before, and you know, pre-internet, and the only way you could find out the Spurs result was about three days later when the English paper arrived, you know, and it would be that that would be the only way to actually be sat in a bar in Manhattan, surrounded by other Spurs fans, with Spurs memorabilia up on the walls, watching a match was just um, just a really memorable moment. And then it happened again uh, a couple of years ago. The first season we were at Wembley. And um, I'd actually given my season ticket up to my uh, from, to my dad and son. And me and my wife were watching Spurs in L.A. again about 7 a.m. in the morning. It was the, it was a match we beat Liverpool 4-1. So probably not a great one to have missed. But, I mean, it was uh, about 25 degrees at 7 a.m. in the morning. So it wasn't too bad in L.A. either. And, uh, and, and I just sort of, again, just that exact thing of it was 200 people probably in that bar. And as it got to the end of that season, I'd sit in my seat and I'd see all of the supporters clubs going round on on the boards at at the ground. I just thought there are people right now who... Are watching this in the middle of the night they're watching it through all sorts of different mediums together for all sorts of different reasons and it just intrigued me as to what those reasons might be so I sort of decided I'd get in touch with one or two of them and see if there was a book in it and thankfully there was. Nice and I've looked through some of your promo
1: materials and it sounds like you've got some great sort of individual stories from the different supporters of the club groups
3: as well. Do you want to tell us th- some, some of those? Obviously you're not giving too many spoilers. No no but absolutely yeah I mean just some of the things that immediately jump out to me I mean, uh, there's a there's a young man called Anthony in in Lebanon, and uh, Lebanon's a country that's had uh, real real issues, actually, you know, not pre coronavirus as well. I mean, this this guy's passion for Tottenham is absolutely unbelievable, and he's got he's got a tattoo sort of on his rib cage, and he said to me very in passing, he said, you know, he says when I get um, when I get frustrated at Spurs, which I think most people would be able to relate to, uh, he says, when I get uh, frustrated with Spurs, I smash plates. And I sort of just said, you know, I I queried this. I said, what do you mean? Is that like, you know, like a a metaphor? He said, oh no, no. He said, "I, I, I smash plates. He said, I just can't control my emotions. He said, so, um, you know in in the UK you have the expenditure of going to the ground I have it in plates and he, he literally <laughs> he literally throws plates at the at the wall uh when when Spurs are doing his head in. and um yeah that 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 strikes me as quite a good way of sort of dealing with that um I, I think the other thing is there's there's supporters clubs who are doing amazing charity work and amazing um work to to, to Punjabi Spurs immediately spring to mind UK based uh group but um you know, they took, uh, they took Aussie RD list to, to India for a, a football camp with about 500, uh, local kids. You know, the, the kind of outreach work that they're, that they're doing. Um, I, I first actually spotted them. They, they did Bangra dancing at half time um, in one of the matches at Wembley, which was incredible seeing Bangra dancing to Chaz and Dave. So I was kind of aware <laughs> of them, uh, beforehand as well. Um, and, and, and just, just the fans who, you know, will get up in, in the middle of the night and, and, you know, I think when you start to go to Asia and Australasia, you know, a Sunday game at four o'clock here is, is four o'clock in the morning out there on, on a Monday and people have got to get up for work. So just hearing the stories of people who watch Spurs at three o'clock in the morning against, you know, Hull and then and then get up and go to work for the day, you know, knowing that, that kind of that feeling of sometimes you know you, you maybe go to the pub or, or throw a few plates or do whatever you do to deal with when Spurs put us through it and the idea of going to work and doing a 10-hour shift on the <laughs> top it's uh it's something that most most of us at least you in the UK don't have to uh don't have to put up with so so yeah they're just just a few of the stories but I mean there's so many in there it's, it's incredible
1: it sounds great and I remember there was a time not that long ago where. I think sort of foreign fans, as it were, were slightly looked down upon. People would sneer at them. And I think that's completely changed now. People have an appreciation of, as you described there, the lengths people will go to to support the football club. And, you know, there's a whole host of different reasons why someone might support Spurs. It might be in their family. It might be that they've grown up a stone's throw from, from the ground. But it's such Premier League is such a global thing now. Um, and people get into football for all kinds of different reasons, and, and that doesn't mean that the passion is diminished in any way. Is that something you've you've um, seen when as you've kind of researched
3: this book? One hundred percent, and and I think you're absolutely right in terms of um, you know, I think I think the Premier League in particular has, has has had that thing of the tourist, the tourist football fan, and you know, I think I think that a lot of people, and there is a, certainly an argument where that just coming to watch the Premier League as a spectacle can sanitize the atmosphere a little bit. That mm. you've not got those people with that passion. At the same time, I think it's such a sweeping generalisation to say that someone who isn't brought up 10 miles from the ground or whatever can't possibly be a fan. And I think that that is... Absolutely, what I've picked up, and 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 you know a couple of versions of that really of of Spurs their their chairman um, is a UK based fan who's lived who's lived out there for about fifteen twenty years, and actually he he moved out there for love, started a family, but never actually felt at home there until he discovered Australia Spurs Spurs sorry, and um and and sat in a bar and watched the match with with fellow fans, and now they have. Huge. Um, people come from all over Australia to meet every year and, and have one big weekend where they watch Spurs together and, and sort of have a have kind of a big celebration. And again, you know, it's, it's a different kind of support. You know, the, the, the lengths that people are going to, it's a completely different kind of support. They are still. Um, travelling the length and breadth of their countries to to watch games together. They're still uh, spending the same. Um, The the commitment, as I say, to get up in the middle of the night to watch Tottenham is, is incredible. So... So, yeah, I think that 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 definitely struck me as just how passionate some of our fans are all around the world. And there are tens of thousands of them.
1: Lovely. And if people want to get hold of your book, probably have a bit of time on their hands at the moment, given that we can't leave the house. um, Where might they find it? Where's best for, for you for them to buy it?
3: Yeah, so it is exclusively on Amazon. So um, you can get it on paperback um, in the in the UK. It's ten pounds and it's free delivery with that on uh, in paperback, um, or three ninety nine uh, on Kindle. Uh, the best thing to do is just search B in that number book, and then probably my name or Tottenham. So my name's Carl Jones, and just sort of see if uh, you you it should come up immediately. There, it's um it, it it's doing okay at the moment. I got a little I got a little screenshot that it's it, it's next to Greaves's book um, on on. Amazon, which uh, is, is pretty good good company to be in, so I'm uh, I'm quite I'm quite pleased about that at the moment. So uh, so yeah, if people search it on there, it should arrive within about five or six days, and and hopefully you'll. Um, even if you've you've maybe you're, you're slightly sceptical about international fans, as we've touched upon, um, I would bet money that you would uh, have a different opinion after sort of reading some of these stories and the dedication that people put into Spurs all around the world. Fantastic! And
1: just to go back to you, Carl, this isn't your only creative outlet. Uh, you're also a stand-up comedian.
3: I am indeed. Yeah. Um, well, a, um, a on on enforced hiatus as a stand-up comedian at the moment, unfortunately. Um, but yeah. Uh, I, I'm a stand-up comedian and I've, I've been doing that for uh, eight or nine years now. Um, absolutely love it. Get all up and down around the country. It makes um, uh, it, it makes sort of planning Spurs games in around it quite a challenge. But I, I manage it. I manage. I plan Spurs in around absolutely everything. To be honest, so so yeah. I'm uh, I, I'm, I'm missing being on stage, but this is this is putting my creativity into into another direction at the moment which is which is definitely helping nice well
1: thank you for joining us it's a pleasure to talk to you and best of luck with with the book i hope it goes really well it sounds like a fascinating story and i, I do think you got you lucked out with the timing of the
3: 2018-19 season what a story it was touch and go for a while there but thankfully this team didn't let me down in the end so yeah thank you very much nice one
1: you've been listening to the x Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production, thanks to Barney for being Italian, thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork, thanks to David Lindner for our intro music, you can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and the SoundCloud D Lindner, do check him out, he's great. Great, great, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch, email us via podcast at the extra and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review, that would be really